it's time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Welcome back to another episode of Two Men and a Doc. JT, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for uh, gathering again. Doc, how are you doing? I am doing well here at home, just uh, in my quarantine like the rest of everyone. Well, you're sheltering in place. Sheltering in place, yes. How, how are you guys uh, staying busy through, uh, through these days? Well, when I'm not working, I'm... Still got my list of things around the house. I installed a, a new mirror yesterday, and you know, I finished painting my son's room. It's it's exciting times around here. <laughs> cooking, I think everyone's doing a lot of cooking. Definitely, I'm I'm, I'm I'm catching in, you know, a run here and there, like about three to four miles every day. Yeah, uh, GB lives in just doesn't live too far from me, so it's it's pretty. Uh, it's a, it's become kind of a joke in our household that every time somebody looks out the window, there's GB running by. Maybe he's just going back and forth in front of your house. I think that too. Well, well, actually, I ran it. I ran by your house yesterday, but you weren't there. Yeah, but we saw you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then uh, I was on a socially distanced bike ride yesterday, and uh, that was pretty good. Not a lot of cars you know, on the road. It. They're locking it all down. You know, the, you know, even the bike path along the beach is closed now. I mean, imagine you live by the beach and you can't even, you can't even do that on a early morning ride or something. That's a, that's a bummer. I understand it, but you know, people took advantage, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with it a little bit. I, I, I guess I do understand it. Um, I'm just trying to decide if it's like, are, are, are we trying to scale down? It's like if we're, if we're being 98% effective, are we trying to get that 1%? And not that that's not insignificant. I mean, they, they talk about that if, if uh, even if 95% of what we're doing is successful, that 5% of unsuccessful uh, social distancing could be yeah. significant. Yeah. But still, I, I, it, it does make me question. Yeah. I do have an observation. And, and, yeah. and I saw this through a number of different families. And I don't know if this has to do with, with just sort of the, I don't know if the social aspect or if it's Darwinism or whatever, but in my household and in a couple of other friends' households, and I think in your household too, Michael, that there seems to be a greater alarm amongst the wives than the husbands. And, and I witnessed it, I think in particular with you in speaking to your wife and, and, and how your views evolved over time in relation to the severity of this. I see it in my wife in terms of what she's doing by stripping down at the front door, not bringing the clothes into the household. And then the wife of the person I went on that socially distanced bike ride was giving me the third degree and wondering what my hand washing protocol was because she was, um, you know, a, a, you know, a, a, a little bit uh, nervous and rightly so. But but I see it, and I don't know if you guys have seen this. 
just it, it just it, it, uh, a a a much more um, you know concern from the wives than from the husbands. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, it's you know, there's going to be a lot of like you know social sociological studies retrospectives from from all of this. You know, in terms of you know the changes in our behavior. In some respects, the there's a lot of silver linings, but it's it's one of the huge uh, opportunities right now is to is to really study human behavior in a whole new way that uh, no one's ever been able to do um, essentially in, in modern history. Um, so it's it's a pretty fascinating time. And I and I kind of agree. And I think from a sort of um, uh, gender evolution perspective, you know, men are from Mars, women from Venus kind of thing. Um, there is something to that. I mean, I think that, you know, Historically, women um, for, you know, millennia, for eons have been the, the um, managers of the household, if you will. Um, and that, you know, especially when there are children and, and that comes down to like, you know, keeping the house clean and all that stuff. I mean, we can start to, I don't want to like, obviously cross a line and say like, the women are the homemakers and the men are the workers. That's not true in modern times, but to some degree, there is a little bit of a, uh, a, what I would call a, you know, a gender role evolution that, um, even though society is trying to veer away from it is you can't, you can't help but get back to it now that we're all living at home. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, No, there's, yeah, I I find it true. Yeah. Definitely a a, a heightened sense of hygiene and, and health protocol in, in, in my household. Um, I just I just thought it was an interesting observation that I, I hadn't witnessed before. And I and I would say even in the workplace, um, both, as I said last week with uh, our surgery center and um, even in my own office, um, you know, the the employees that are female, um, I think, have much greater sensitivity, um, again, because they're worried they're taking things back to their households where they have children um, and they're male employees too, but they're not quite as, um, you know, they're not quite, their alarm bells aren't going off as much. And, um, and I'm saying this without any judgment whatsoever. It's just something you're right. It's an observation. Um, and arguably it's a, it's, you know, some people may find that those folks who have, women in their lives are having a survival advantage. I mean, I don't know, you know, that, the, that, the, that they're forcing, you know, everybody else to be more careful. I, I, I couldn't tell you, but that's, that's going to be something for the sociologists to, uh, and epidemiologists to, you know, hammer out over the years to come when, when they finally look at, you know, what, what has happened, what has really happened here. I don't know. I think you guys are, I, I think, whether there's a difference between men and women is anecdotal at best. I think there's, yes, maybe you could say women are, uh, they're a little more inclined to nest. And as you said, take care of children if there's children in the house. But um, I, I don't know if I would agree that there's a pattern there, but but I, I will take the conversation, a slight uh, related topic, which is what I'm seeing. And again, this is very anecdotal, but on the, the I find the next door app to be, a microcosm of what's going on in the world, it seems to me anyway. It's certainly what's going on in our neighborhoods. And what I'm getting at specifically is um, 
people are taking a militant view of certain things and other people, I don't know, they're being either quiet or they're, they're responding a little more, um, a, a little more casually, but people are saying, I look out my window and I see people standing outside and talking and I wish they would go back in their house. And I can't believe that there's people riding bicycles in our neighbor. And, you know, people aren't doing anything wrong. They, they are, uh, you know, they're walking six feet apart, they're having a conversation 10 feet apart, but there's a, I don't know if it's too much CNN or what, but do you guys find that there's a disparity is what I'm getting at, but just between neighbors and people, and, and there's so much information, it's being interpreted in different ways. And I, I'll even go one step further, and you guys can respond to all of this if you'd like. When it does come time to us to start to transition back, I think that's when it's really going to become obvious that some people are going to protest from ever leaving their house without a full bodysuit on um, and hazmat, and other people are going to start to accept the fact that the risks are low and let's try. So are you guys seeing that? Do you read that app at all? And uh, what's your view on, on sort of how people are taking this information? Well, well Robin, I mean, my wife, Robin, had a, had a this, just this morning, got into a big online I'm not going to say an argument, but there was several posts. I, it may have been on Nextdoor, precisely what you're talking about, that, that there was like a flood of people. That they literally, I think maybe it was Nextdoor, they literally were photos of people walking in the neighborhood and they were basically being shamed on the right. app. And, it comes and down like, to shame, right. That's what's happening. So, so Robin, this is something she's very sensitive about. So she basically chimed in and said, you know, I think this isn't the time for us to be shaming our uh, our neighbors and our community and, and people in our community. And we have no idea what, you know, other people's lives are like and what they're doing. But let's try to just, you know, we can try to be supportive, but let's not try to actually shame people. And then there were like a flood of responses, including the one who wrote who put the post the picture and incidentally, the one who posted the picture apparently is kind of a semi-well-known uh, person in the online community and basically said, uh, you know, in these times uh, with this, what's going on, I have every right to be judgmental and I am going, I have 100% right to judge when I see people, you know, violating and, and basically just, you know, went off and she was just like, wow. And then some people kind of, jumped in and, and agreed with the, uh, you know, the, the, the woman who posted that, 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 those images and, and well, some of them. It comes down to people feeling like they're doing their part and so other people aren't. It's like the sacrifice that people well, are making, uh, which of yeah, course you we know all what? are. I, look, but... I don't like that app and I'll, and, and, and I'm going to explain to you exactly why. I think it gives a voice to people who, who normally would, 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 would not express their, their thoughts in person. They're, they're able to hide behind the internet and it's not, no, no, but well, it's, no, it's no different that's on the next door app online. when, when you get large diatribes of people complaining about other people throwing their dog poop in their trash cans. And, and, and I, and I don't understand right. that's the whole purpose of the trash can. And it's the whole purpose of picking up after the, the dog makes a poop. So it was you doing that in my trash can. And I, I just, it's it, it just, it's, the internet gives a microphone to those people who otherwise would, wouldn't have had a voice. All right. Well, I mean, we can't debate the internet right now, but I, it's, uh, 
it what I'm you're what you're saying is true, but because people do have this voice, it becomes a microcosm of the way people are thinking. And I do feel that people are looking at any behaviors in a under a microscope and they feel like people are prolonging this potentially because they are doing some of these things. Listen, I took a hike the day or two before they ended up shutting the trails down and the trail was crowded, but I never felt like anyone was encroaching on my space. I never felt like I was encroaching on theirs. And I certainly didn't feel like there was anything going on that was going to be an issue. Now, maybe in the parking lot, which I wasn't in, but I I don't know. I, I think that there's a little bit of an extreme going on with some of the public spaces, which help, frankly, will help people get through this. Um, so let, let's get into, so because when you were talking about that, it made me think like about the numbers and, and the potential infectiousness and, and what we're seeing right now in the, in the news. Somebody asked me today, because I, I was taking a walk and someone said, do, do, do I think we should be, you know, getting close to the peak by now because we're going to be approaching, um, or when we approach the two week mark, do I think, why wouldn't we be experiencing the peak at two weeks, especially if the incubation period is two to 14 days? Um, and um, so I'll just, you know, obviously it's rhetorical. So my, my answer was, no, I don't think we're at the peak because, first of all, you have to recognize that um, even if somebody starts to develop symptoms today or at day 14, it doesn't mean that they're going to wind up that sick that day. They may not be going to the hospital that day. Um, it may be another week before they wind up going to the hospital. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, and then the other thing is that, um, we don't know how, how long people have been compliant. You know, people, I don't think people were hundred percent compliant on day one when it came to doing this social distancing and all of that stuff. It's taken several days. So, I mean, I think that, when they talk about, you know, when we're going to hit this peak, I, I do think we're still looking at another couple of weeks before that's going to happen. Yeah, it seems like the month of April before that really happens. What's that? It, it feels like it's going to be the month of April. People need to, yeah. you know, before, we hit, before we even hit the peak. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of what we're looking at. Um, the other thing that uh, came up that... Um, I was talking about is just, you know, the, the, the metrics that we're following, you know, I think people get really fixated on the number of, of infected cases. You know, the United States has over a hundred thousand and they're number one in the world. It's so, it's so uh, unreliable. Uh, we've talked about this. I think that you really can only follow uh, deaths and hospitalizations. And even those are not reliable. It's a very difficult target. Um, deaths are unreliable because, you know, hospitals are, um, they're reporting these deaths, but you don't always know if the death was definitively related to, you know, it's like Mm. somebody comes into the hospital and they have a, um, a heart attack or, um, a, uh, or an irregular heart rhythm or something like that. And, uh, and then they get admitted to the ICU and they're being worked up and then they die because they had a, um, you know, an event, a cardiac event. Um, and maybe or maybe not, they checked them for COVID-19 and maybe or maybe not that was uh, an instigator. So 
there are some false negatives out there. And then there's some false positives. You heard in the news about that kid. I think it was like a 17 year old. Right. And then they decided that wasn't that he died of septic shock, but not from that felt like the sepsis wasn't really directly from COVID-19. I mean, I don't know the details of that case, but I'm just saying that there's that kind of confusion. And then I'll tell you another thing. I get, I'm starting to get emails from the CEO of the hospital that I work at, at St. Joe's. And the email today said, we now have um, 40 admissions, 40 admissions in the hospital. Uh, 22 of them are confirmed cases and 20, and, and I'm sorry, 18 of them are confirmed cases and 22 are um, suspected suspected. So then what is the number of hospitalizations? Um, You can't say that there are 40 hospitalizations from COVID-19. On the other hand, um, so that, you know, so do you say that there's 22 or rather 18 because those are the confirmed ones? Or do you say there's 40 because we suspect them? So it gets, and then what is, is that a standard? That's the thing. There's nothing standardized right now. So the numbers are very difficult to, to rely on. Um, you got to take it all, you know, unfortunately, with a grain of salt. It's very confusing. Hmm. So as far as uh, the peak, if we think the peak is going to be towards the end of April, it seems like, you know, and again, we're not going to use this show to rehash what's on the news every day. Um, it's more about you know, where things are happening locally and what, what's, we feel that is going on and for everyone in their lives. But the, there, it feels like we're looking at two months, you know, when, if you take everything that people are talking about right now, that it's, it's looking like the end of May, would you seem to feel like that's where this is trending? Um, there isn't going to be an end point. Um, but there is a point in which, you know, slowly but surely there'll be some opening back up. And I think, um, I think that, um, I think that that's. Doc, doc can we talk lesson. about that? Can we talk about that? that the, uh, the quote unquote yeah. end point, because I think to you, I think what you're saying is this is not something that is going to go away. It may go maybe a little bit dormant, slow down and then re- reoccur in, in the winter again. Is, is that really what you're saying? And that really the only hope is ultimately a vaccine and or herd immunity. Is that, is that what you're saying? And, and, and or treatment and or treatment. Mm. So a combination yeah. of all three. Yeah, that is what I'm saying. And so I think what's going to happen is, is that after we get past this massive spike Um, We're going to have little mini, mini bumps, um, you know, and and, and that's unpredictable. Is that going to be every few months? Is that going to be seasonal? That's super unpredictable. Um, But it's it's really it's such an unprecedented time. We just don't know. No one really knows what the world's going to look like three months from now, six months from now, a year from now. It's just what what, what I'm also very what I'm also very interested in is the historic view on the lack of a response from 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 the CDC and the NIH, because I, I, I don't believe and based upon what I'm reading 
is that this is something that there was just a lack of inaction over the last couple of years. I think this predates the Trump administration and that there was a lack of preparedness uh, with our federal government as to uh, some type of a contagion like this. And it will be very interesting to really understand how and, and why this happened, uh, then coupled with the fact of uh, the current leadership that, that we're seeing today, or lack of leadership that, that we're seeing today. Because when we think about all the things that can harm our society, from war and, and uh, terrorist plots and, and you know cyber issues, you know what? I would have thought that this would have been, uh, you know, near the top of the list that our federal government was was really preparing for us, and clearly they weren't. Well, I think it's been an easy place for money to not be spent. It's it's not the obvious thing. It's it's the thing that people have talked about but didn't really anticipate. No, when but, you get but down the, to it. So the budget of the CDC uh, has increased year over year over year. And, and that's the part that I don't understand. And, and who exactly is responsible, you know, for, for the response? Is it the CDC? Is it another organization? That, that's what I don't understand. I'm not sure I agree with you. I think what I've read is that what happens is that these, what, there is sort of a short-term memory. Um, uh, and there's a short-term memory when it comes to these outbreaks um, and so what happens is, is like when they look back at the previous epidemics, whether it was, you know, H1N1 or swine flu or SARS, whatever, there's a short period of time, maybe it's a, a year where they kind of ramp up their preparedness. Um, and then there's sort of a, you know, after that year, it starts to drop off. So there was, in fact, I, I saw somewhere where they, they did have like a huge, a much bigger stockpile of ventilators and a bigger stockpile of supplies. And then it just gradually dwindled out. Some of it expired and then they discarded it and then they didn't replace it and things like that. Um, and so I think what happens is, is that there is, um, there is that sort of complacency, um, especially when it comes to <clears throat> the dollars involved. You know, you have to remember that, look, when was the last time we had anything remotely like this in American history? A hundred years ago. So that's what people would keep saying. I get you know, it. It's like, I get it. Know, but the budget has been increasing at the CDC. That's the part I don't get. Yeah, I mean, I think that, but it's not really the. I mean, yes, there is a lack of. There's all kinds of balls being dropped, and you could argue, you know, why were those balls dropped when the budget of the CDC was higher? But that's not really where the. Um, I don't know okay. if that, that equates. Does the does the higher the budget of the CDC should that equate in, to greater in preparedness? Very in I'm very, not sure that those I, two I are think you're in right, line. but in very simplistic terms, that's what I would look at. If you had programs in place before and budgets are increasing, I would think that that those programs would continue to get an allocation of funds. And it certainly seems to me that mm. that something happened. Um, and, and maybe it was our lack of alignment with the World Health Organization and the testing kit for, for, for COVID-19. And, and, and maybe that was where the miscalculation was. But it, it would just seem to me as if you're spending more money, you, you should be more prepared. And, and, and maybe that's overly simplistic. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we'll find out 25 years from now with the Freedom of Information Act what what uh, intelligence briefings were ignored because I think that's going to be. But that's the leadership issue, issue. In and, the future. And, and and I'm not and I'm not. Doubting it is, them. but but that's how this that's how you go to the CDC and you and you ask them to help if you actually yeah, but, are but willing to ask. Yeah, but this should have been in 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 my in my view. If this is what people are doing for a living, this is what they're thinking about every day, and this is what they're planning and preparing for. And it's not as if this stuff should have been a surprise. The other piece, the other piece of this is what I mentioned before as well: is why weren't we aligned with the World Health Organization, and why did we go off and try to do our our own test for the COVID nineteen? Why weren't we aligned with the rest of the world? And 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 that and that is something that it will be great to hear an answer at some point. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that there is that, that, that I think becomes a little bit more political. You know, we, we definitely as a country moved away from globalization in the last three years with, with the the new, with the Trump administration, um, you know, backing away from NATO and all of these other kinds of international and, and climate accord and all of that. So I think that that's just part and parcel to the direction of the country, which, you know, unfortunately was bad timing. You know, that's the way I see it. You know, something that uh, that I think is potentially going to be interesting to watch over the next month uh, to two months when we talk about the trajectory of the cases. And I haven't really seen this talked about, frankly, is it feels like it started in what can only be called wealthier situations. I'm not talking about ultra wealth. I'm just talking about people that are able to travel, people that are coming back from ski trips, people that are, which is, you know, that, that's not a, a flippant remark. That's where some of the first cases were in LA. Um, people that were coming back from business meetings in New York uh, and, and other locations worldwide, right? And, and it's, it sort of went around in those circles. And what I'm wondering is if you're going to see four weeks from now, five, six, eight weeks from now, it's going to start getting into uh, more poverty-stricken areas. When I say poverty, I just mean real, you know, working class, um, even, even uh, you know, harder hit areas economically in, in the urban centers. And they're not going to be as prepared potentially to deal with it. They're going to be have to work or um, they're not, they don't have, frankly, even the room to social distance at home. Uh, appropriately, and is that going to become a, a mini outbreak in itself? Um, and then the second part of that is the small towns of America, who they are somewhat isolated, but the cases are going to come to them. I think I just saw something yesterday, right, about like an assisted living place um, in a small town, and and these ho- they have like three hospital beds to begin with in some of these towns. And when it when it explodes in mid in middle America in small town America, I think you're going to see a real problem with lack of resources and lack of ability to for treatment, and uh, maybe even people that feel like well it's not going to happen here, so they're not following some of the same advice. Um, so I don't know if you guys have have seen any of this or read about it, but. I think it's something for us to watch for. Well, there's, there's p- part of the population segment that, that doesn't give a whole lot of credence to the virus at all. And from some of the stuff I've been reading, um, there seems to be uh, a belief about the severity of the virus along partisan lines. 
and and there's a lot of you know misinformation that's going out there. I don't know if you saw when uh, Dr. Fauci cover, covered his head uh, with with his hand, and there was a lot of backlash yeah, yeah. on that, and and a lot of tweets and and a lot of chatter on social media how how he's trying to bring the president down and yeah. Well, that's that's. I mean, that's a whole nother like conspiracy thing that people are trying to. They are trying to bring him down because of that. But I, the partisan lines thing, I think is interesting because I feel like that's a misleading stat that people are making. I don't think there's partisan lines in the major cities. What I do think is that, as I said, in the middle of the country, which is more red states, they're not taking it as seriously. You don't see the same types of shutdowns. You don't see the same type of observance of of uh, some of the things that we're all doing elsewhere. And those tend to be red states. So it's a combination of them being farther away from the problem for now. And they also happen to be, but there's also Trump supporting. It's uh, less dense population. So to, to a certain extent, you know uh, it's not like New York city, but, but it eventually, yes, but it will get there because they still, they still are having community gatherings and they're going to church and they, you know, even if you live on a farm or just a small town, I don't mean to stereotype that you're, it's that middle America, you could be, you know, in, in outskirts of Kansas city, which is just suburban, you know, living. And it, it, I don't think that it's, uh, I don't think that they're being careful. I I think your point's well taken, Jay. And, And that also relates back to the doc's point earlier that even if this thing does peak, you know, in May, it, it it doesn't it doesn't mean that this is over. This is going to continue. Yeah, this is not a this is not a one time event. Right. Uh, right. I think I think we're all yeah, and I think what's what'll probably. I mean, my guess is, and and this is kind of interesting because, um, I was just thinking about while you were talking how in the past epidemics over the last like 20 years, the ones that we were talking about, H1N1, SARS, et cetera, um, a lot of these started out in these like sub-Saharan countries and these poverty, uh, underdeveloped world countries. And I think as developed countries, we kind of felt like there was a sort of a line, a protection um, where we were kind of not necessarily going to be affected by those outbreaks. And indeed, we really haven't been. Um, we were very minimally affected by those enormous outbreaks um, in those underdeveloped countries. And it's now it's like the other way around, where it's like I think the developed countries um, have been hit hardest first, but then you're going to see a second wave that's, that's going right. to hit these underdeveloped countries. And it's going to be pretty massive, right? Because um, and, and the thing is, is that what's really interesting is that it's going to be somewhat under the radar, I think, because you're again, you know, who's going to pay for massive testing in, um, in Syrian refugee villages, you know, um, who's going to pay for the massive testing, who's going to, who's going to treat those people. Um, and the answer is nobody. So they're going to all get, you know, infected and a big chunk of them are going to probably succumb, particularly older folks and people who are more compromised in their health. And it's just going to be, you know, undetected. We're not going to really know. I, as my, is my, I have to, you know, speculate that. 
but I wonder if that's really the case. Um, I think it's and, I think it's already under the radar. I think that's happening, and we're not hearing about it. And countries that are showing no cases or very minimal cases is really because they don't have the reporting or the hospitals or certainly the tests. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know what. As for as for the you know the larger populations here in America, I I still and and you've talked about this for the last few weeks, the, and we even mentioned it this, this today. Um, the herd immunity does feel like our slow transition back, and I think you're going to start hearing. And again, this is not in the near future, but I think it's in you know maybe late May. The risk stratification is going to become the thing that um, starts to get people back, and that's. If you're at low risk, and Michael, you've given the, the percentages in the past, if you are at really low risk of, of, um, of having a severe reaction to uh, the disease, or at least needing hospitalization, that those, the people that are in that low risk area are going to be the ones that, that are able to go back and hopefully even uh, help out on the, you know, in the medical community, in the, you know, everywhere, just frankly, getting food to people that, that can't go out. So it's interesting because what's going to what's going to happen with that, though? I mean, like are employers going to, you know, are, are people who are uh, uh, looking for jobs, are they going to say, I want to apply for this job? And by the way, I already had coronavirus. I can show you my, uh, you know, whatever uh, my test. I was positive uh, two months ago. And so I'm already immune to it. So I'm really a, a much better candidate because oh, that's, that's very interesting. Well, I'm glad. No, I, that's right. I, I didn't. No, I didn't. I, I didn't uh, ex- go through everything, frankly, that I was thinking because uh, you're right. When we do start to go back, it is the people that are in that in that uh, low risk group. But you've still got. Is it going to be discriminate? Is it going to be discriminatory? You're still going to have social distancing for a long time. You're still going to have, if you are even remotely not feeling well, you have to stay home. We're not going to go back to business as usual right away for anybody. Um, I don't know when the next movie theater is going to, frankly, be able to open. Or, um, you know, they're talking about baseball, but that feels longer away than people think. But I do think we can go back and apply some of these philosophies that we're doing right now, these behaviors, I should say, um, but do it in a more public settings for the people that feel like, you know, they can. It's interesting. I, I, I don't know. Just a lot of thoughts are running through my head right now. First of all, one thought that ran through my head is that, is that I never really made this connection, but it was what seven to nine years after the, the Spanish flu outbreak that we had the great depression. Was that a coincidence or is that, I mean, is, there, is that a temporal coincidence or was there a connection there? Are, are things speedier now that, you know, that we have this? And second of all, yeah, I, I'm really thinking about like what's going to happen to society when it comes to discrimination of people who are, you know, potentially able to prove that they're not at risk or they've already been exposed or things like that um, when it comes to all kinds of access. You know, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable um, if you've are, if you, if you've, if you've never had it, um, I'm just trying to think this through and someone, um, has already had it and they're therefore immune to it. You're going to feel much more comfortable being around that person. Right. But we can't all wear, you know, a badge that says 
<laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, we've seen it before in, in much darker times. Yes, um, we have. We have. I, I don't. I don't see that as as what's going to happen. Um, like an I voted sticker. You know, I I was tested sticker. Um, but uh, uh, you know, I think that there's going to be somewhat of just a people are going to take their own precautions. Let's just say, and I I really don't think it's going to happen. I think the school year is over. I really do. But let's say some school district said on June first. Come on back. We're going to spend two weeks. We're going to we're going to have some ability to have a final end of the year part of our, our scholastic uh, program. A lot of parents are going to say, "No way, my kids aren't going." And some parents right. are going to say, "Yeah, great. I think they should." And you're going to see that across the board. Some people are going to their doors are going to open at work, and some employees are not going to come in. And that's going to have to be totally fine, I would imagine. For any employer, it's going to have to be voluntary. Um, if they if they open at all, well, uh, just think about your own think about your own kids. Granted, they're they're you know they're older, but let's say you had let's say you had whatever kids that were still well. JT still has kids in 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 uh, high school, and and GB doesn't. But um, I'm thinking I've got two kids in in high school, so I'm thinking you know when the fall rolls around, and you know I got to think they're going to open up schools in the fall. Maybe not, but I would think that they will. Um, are we going to, how are we going to feel when our kids, you know, go off to school? Are we going to be like now, you know, and, and then let's say you find out that one of the kids, I mean, this is so likely, this is so likely. Right. You find out that one of the kids, his, uh, his parents are both sick with COVID-19 and that kid is at school. So now you're going to tell your kids stay away from Johnny because his parents have both have COVID-19 Johnny or does Johnny have to stay home? You see what I'm saying? What the heck are we going to do? Yeah, I think <laughs> that's, and then same gonna... with the workplace, same with the workplace. I mean, it's well, really intense when you really, well, part of that is going to questions. What's going to happen gonna... when you go to your work and you find out that like, you know, your coworker, um, her husband has COVID-19 and he's sick. Does that mean For that two coworker weeks. has to stay home? That, 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 that's really? what people is are asking. Right? If you, if, if there's somebody that, um, uh, that is close to you. I'm not well, talking about now. I'm talking about like four months good... from now. I think the the middle of this thing is going to be somewhere between this summer and next summer, frankly, you know, because it's going to take yeah. that long for those things that the doc has talked about. By the about. way, you know, people keep forgetting, but we, we, what, how many deaths do we have in the United States so far? A thousand or 2000 or something like that. And uh, yeah, I think it's 2000 deaths in the United States, something like that, which is a lot. But, but, but I will remind you that we, we have not yet reached the deaths caused by influenza in 2017 which was 68,000 in the United States. We have not reached that. So, you know, keep in mind that um some of this is 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 psychological, some of this is real. We're you know, it's it's different than the flu because the flu most of people have been exposed to some form of it or another and it obviously didn't have the same mortality risk. You didn't get nearly as sick from the flu. Um, but I'm just pointing that out, that uh, that we did have that. 
Massive. And we've adopted plenty of things because of the flu. Like if you're sick, you stay home. And if you have a fever, you don't go to school. You are and, you so know. right. You are so right. That is exactly right. Um, all, right. all right. Well, it's uh, it's a lot to chew on. You know, I, I know that we've kind of, you know, this is hopefully just an open discussion for everyone to listen in on as, as our podcast usually is. We're not trying to be the, the, um, only source of the information, certainly. You guys have plenty of other places to go for facts and figures, but uh, hopefully that, you know, we're just having a dialogue with you guys and, and feel yeah. free to comment on it and uh, and give us your thoughts. Uh, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and uh, and thanks, you guys. I can, I can get back to going doing nothing now. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? All right, well, uh, GB, if you want to run past my house, it's a little bit of a longer run for you, but I'll, <laughs> I'll keep an eye out for you and Doctor, it was it was good to hear from you as well. All right, guys, take care. Thanks, guys. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast, so write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.